I filed for divorce and separated from him and followed through with the divorce, which was the hardest thing I ever did in my life because I loved him. But in order to save my life and his life and our daughter's life, I felt and I was told by professional people that that was the thing that needed to be done. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Welcome to another educational edition of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. We are here in West Bend, Wisconsin today. We're going to be traveling up north to Nielsville to the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park up there. And we're going to be speaking to our guest, who I'm very, very anxious and excited to have with us, former tech sergeant, Rebecca Peasley. And Rebecca is a Desert Storm veteran, having served with the Army National Guard, the Active Guard Reserve, and Air National Guard. Rebecca entered the United States Military Service at the age of 30 years old. And Rebecca is a mother retired CNA nurse, and a former spouse of a decorated combat infantry Vietnam veteran. Rebecca advocates for families and loved ones of veterans managing post-traumatic stress. Based on her personal experiences, Rebecca is also an advocate for survivors of military sexual trauma. Rebecca promotes educational resources, activities, and for veterans and families can uh, to use to move forward in their lives uh, to find more joy and healing from their post-traumatic stress. This is a wonderful introduction for our wonderful guests. So welcome to Rebecca. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Well, we're pleased to have you with us. You've got a, a wonderful story. So let's get started right away. You are a native of Black River Falls, Wisconsin. Yes, I am. And tell us from there, how did you come to join the military? Well, I grew up in a small community, farming community, and I, when I was young, met a very handsome uh, young man and got married when I was 19, and the man that I married uh, was a combat infantry veteran. He'd been in Vietnam and survived that experience and came to my hometown and got a really good job, and uh, we met and got married and started a life together and everything was wonderful. We had a daughter and 
life was going very well for us. We were so in love. And and then uh, all of a sudden, things started to fall apart. We didn't understand what was going wrong. Um, We knew things weren't quite right. I mean, we were both involved in the community. I I worked in a doctor's clinic as a pharmacy tech, and he had a really good job and in the community. And it was a stressful job, but he was wonder he did a really good job with his profession. And we even did a little farming on the side. We we had a happy life. And it was, you know, just from what appeared to others on the outside that we had the perfect family, the perfect life. Well, it wasn't really so perfect. And uh, there were lots of um, attempts at us trying to heal our family. We tried uh, the best way we knew how. Marriage counseling, we started there. Well, we started with our minister first and marriage counseling. And actually, it's kind of ironic when I look back, the um, counselor we went to uh, knew a little bit about veterans. I, I, I even remember the counselor's name. I remember the experience. Um, and I don't think I've ever shared this, this part of the story, but he said, do what my wife does when I drink a little too much. Kick, her under the t- kick, kick him under the table and just say, you've had a little too much to drink. And then that, that might stop, you know, stop him from taking that next drink. And I'm like... Okay, well, I'll try that. So I tried that. (laughs) So there were little things that we tried along the way, but we didn't really know what the problems were. But is it fair, Rebecca, to say that the problems were being resolved by your husband with drinking? Well, the problems didn't get resolved because, you know, it wasn't wasn't just the drinking. There were deep-seated problems that we found out later were caused by the Vietnam experiences, the the post-traumatic stress. It it really wasn't the, you know, the drinking, you know, that was exacerbating the the PTS, as we learned. But I wanted to go back to why I joined the service. I wanted to have a better understanding of why my husband had these problems. You know, that was the main reason. And I, I know it sounds a little crazy, for someone to go in the service when they're 30 years old, a, a, a young woman with a child. But I really loved my husband and didn't want any of this to be happening to our family. But some changes had to happen. And I was the one that had to make the changes or things weren't going to ever change. And what so, changes were those, Rebecca? Well, I had to decide to separate from my husband. And so when he was in alcohol rehab treatment for the third time, I filed for divorce and separated from him and followed through with the divorce, which was the hardest thing I ever did in my life because I loved him. But in order to save my life and his life and our daughter's life, I felt, and I was told by professional people that that was the thing that needed to be done. And by that time, I had received some professional counseling through family therapists. 
and I trusted their advice and I have followed through. Now, I truly believe that, that that was the best thing for me to do because following that decision, things started to happen for him and for me. I grew in some of the decisions that I made. It forced me to make changes in my life. I, I made a decision to try to understand him. I, I decided to serve Uncle Sam. I made a commitment for eight years to work for the government and to have a good federal job to raise our daughter, have federal benefits. I went into the service under a program called CASP. It was a civilian acquired skills program. I went to basic training as an E3 PFC. And when I got back, they, I had a, a, a GS4 job and I worked. And then I went on an active duty assignment. I went to sergeant school. I, I did things to improve myself. I, I grew as a person. I grew as someone that my daughter could look, look up to. I did things for myself. And during that time, my former husband grew as a person. He got help through the Toma VA hospital for his PTS. And he grew as a person. And he helped other veterans through all of their stuff. And he still, to this day, helps other veterans. And I'm so proud of him and the growth that he has made in his journey. And he has a new life. He has a wonderful person in his life that uh, cares for him. So, And our daughter loves him. She loves me. I have seen so many Vietnam veterans who are estranged from their loved ones. Some of them haven't seen their children in over 30 years. And I find that to be so sad. Their wives or loved ones haven't fostered their, their relationship with their children. Let me stop I, you just for, for a moment there, yes, Rebecca. Of course. Let's, let's just go back to your time in the military. Yes. I think it's very important for this discussion that you actually wanted to join the military so you could better understand the trauma that your husband was experiencing so you could understand him. Yes. Did that well, happen in the military? It did. It happened because I, in the military for me, I, I, in the different units that I was in, I developed the camaraderie that I feel is so important in the units, in the military. You, you meet people, you know, and me being from a small town, I mean, there's hardly any diversity, you know, from a, a town of 3,500 people. And then you go off to these different military schools and you meet people so different from you. And it's a wonderful experience, even to go to other countries. I went on a military exercise to Korea and, and you see just different parts of the world. And it's, it's just such a great experience for people. But getting back to the, the camaraderie, I can see how important that is for like a veteran, especially if they've been in combat, how it must be. I, I, I can't get inside the mind of a combat infantry soldier because I didn't see combat infant. I didn't see combat for myself. I didn't see that. I kind of can imagine like for someone that did see combat, if they had been, if they had gotten close to a soldier that they were in combat with, and they had lost that person. 
I could see where that would be very difficult just from developing the camaraderie I did for the the time that I did serve and develop camaraderie within the units that within the the different units I was with the people. That's, we spoke before the recording on on, on this podcast, uh, and uh-huh. introduced and had a wonderful conversation. We also knew some of the things about the military culture that you have uh, you have learned. Uh, resilience, of course, uh, you've learned mm-hmm. leadership, you've learned mm-hmm. a colorful language we have talked about was uh, oh, yeah. part of the uh-huh. military experience. You went through all of these things, but you also, at the beginning, you signed a document on your honor to serve the country, mm-hmm. patriotism in the military. And that really qualifies you. You don't know if, at what time they're going to actually call you up and say, well, we need you on the front line. So I think exactly. that, that that's one of the parts of the military culture that I think is very important for people to understand simply because you were didn't have an MOS for the infantry doesn't mean that you weren't prepared and standing ready to serve if they asked you to. Exactly. And does that help you to better understand your, your oh, former yes. husband? I remember the code of conduct by heart. I could recite it to you right now. Wow. That, that is yeah. absolutely fascinating. So, so continue mm-hmm. on. So now you have, Continue, you have completed your military service. And how did that expectation for you when you completed your military uh, service extend? What, what did you think life was going to be like when you returned to the civilian world? Well, it was kind of interesting because when I got out of the service, I, I took a, a job for a big insurance company. And the lady that hired me, she said, well, Miss Peasley, what would you like to be called? And I said, well, because, you know, my name was Rebecca Peasley and everybody always called me Sergeant Peasley. In the military, I was, nobody called me, you know, by my name. And, and she said, well, and, and she was thinking Becky or Rebecca. And I said, well, I, I prefer to be called Rebecca. And my family always called me Becky. So when I got out of the service, I was no longer Becky to my family. I, that was a big change for them. It was a big change for me not to be called Sergeant anymore. It, but it was a big change for my family. Of course, they never called me Sergeant. But, but it, I remember that being a big change for my family. I was no longer Becky to them. I was Rebecca. And I still am, but they have a hard time calling me. And they sarcastically call me Rebecca. But I really do prefer Rebecca. So could we refer to that as an elevation in self-respect or self? I think uh, so. I think so. Yeah, I I, I think so. I think you're absolutely right. There's something, my name is Michael uh, and Mike, and people ask me, what do you prefer? And I I will say Michael because it's, there's something more formal, something more respectful about it. Uh, They never do it, but that's what I prefer. So it's that same thing. Uh, Rebecca is a beautiful name and Becky is more, from my experience with five sisters, more of the young childish girl. And now you are, you're a military veteran now. This is no place for little girls anymore. You're a full grown woman and a sergeant and let's Mm -hmm. call me Rebecca. I mean, I get that. And I think it's, uh, Mm -hmm. that's wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) So now you're home, You're, you're, you're going back about civilian life. Do you have memories of how the military helped improve your, as you went to this insurance company, your confidence level, uh, or any of the, the other experiences of the military that carried through to your civilian life? 
Well, I like structure. And I think that my military skills have helped in jobs that way, as far as organization. I think that um, it's been good. You know, not everybody likes people that are so organized and have a lot of structure. But I think that's a good thing overall. So, uh, you know, I should have asked this before. I apologize for not doing so. What years are we talking about here from the time you went into the military to the time? Oh, I, I went, I enlisted in 1985 and I got out in 1993. So, so May of 85, I did my basic training at Fort McClellan, Alabama in June and July, the hottest time of the year. Uh, in Alabama just makes you a better soldier <laughs> yes <laughs> and, and so and yep. that was during desert storm it was just heating up yep in desert mm-hmm. storm mm-hmm. Yep. well and then 1988 is when I went on active duty in Madison Wisconsin mm-hmm. that was that was when desert storm was just heating up that was the active duty part and mm-hmm. during your time in the military now you've come in there and I, I want to be very respectful of this a lot of us join with the the number one thing is protect the flag protect the country mm-hmm. all of these idealistic things and patriot patriotic ideas yours was primarily the first thought you wanted to know what your husband had experienced did the other aspects of joining the military come along the pride in the uniform the pride in the service the pride in the, your, your job uh, participating in a culture where it wasn't just about you but you were part of something much bigger than yourself uh, did those responsibilities come along and and then the benefits too to have a good a good job to have my daughter know that I was having a respectful job and have benefits to provide for her. There were educational benefits as well, right. enlistment bonus. Let you me know, ask you it, this: when when you did get out, I'm not going to change the subject dramatically, but a little bit. Were you aware of your county veteran service officer when you? Yes, I was. I I registered my DD-214 and my NGB-22s. I registered those papers. And did you actually have a meeting with the CVSO County Veterans Service Officer to understand what your benefits were, to understand what was available? No, I didn't have a meeting, um, but I did send my paperwork to a certificate of eligibility for a VA loan. So I did use a VA loan to get a house. I bought a house. You know? really? Yeah. So you took advantage I, of some of the benefits. That's a big one. Yeah. I did. I, I was so proud of myself because I bought a house on my own. Well, I, I mean, that's just wonderful. And, and uh-huh. again, all of these things coming as a result of that decision mm-hmm. to leave a life that you thought was damaging to yourself, damaging to your former husband, damaging to your daughter, but a very, very courageous Breaking up in a relationship, I think for many veterans, happened in divorce, as you said, estrangement from their children uh, coming home. That is, that is very, very common. You were experiencing this, but not from the veteran side, from the wife's side, from the family side. And making that decision, as you said, had to be just an extraordinarily punishing decision to make. But yet There were a lot of struggles. One. I mean, there's always been struggles, but, you know, I feel that there's always been growth. I always see light at the end of the tunnel. Right. But you have shared with me that you find yourself to be a relelatively quiet, shy person. yet there's something well, in resilience or something well, no, in confidence. I'm not, I'm not really shy at all, but I, I, this is the first zoom call I've ever done in my life. I mean I, I'm shy when it comes to having 
my face on the computer or whatever. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm shy about that, but I'm really not a shy person. Eddie, you're doing a wonderful job. This is a wonderful explanation. And again, I think it's one of the, it is the very first time that I've ever heard of someone enlisting in the military to find out the troubles that a spouse was experiencing or a family was experiencing. And what a courageous, courageous move to make in the first place to do this. So now let's go to back to your home from the military. Share more of how this experience is holding you uh, in your transition from the military culture to the civilian culture and how you got to be where you are today, where you have resolved a lot of the experiences that you've had to the point that you're no longer really internalized with the issues, but now you're externally participating in helping other veterans. Well, I lived in Arizona for 16 years, and I, I belonged to an organization called the Scottish American Military Society. And we were an organization that met monthly. We wore kilts and we, we followed the Roberts Rules of Order for our meetings. And we said the Pledge of Allegiance and we had, you know, golf outings and we raised money and we bought things for the local VA hospital that they couldn't afford to buy for the veterans. And it was a, a social organization. We had our camaraderie. It was all, um, we were all military veterans from all different branches of service. And the women, uh, the spouses had an auxiliary. And it was just a wonderful group of people. And I, I miss my, my guys. I miss my, my veterans. That, that camaraderie was so important to me. And now I've I've been away for seven years, and I still I still miss them. So this, this thing we call veteran camaraderie, and I understand there's something to that from the standpoint that the common experience of having been in the military, whatever your MOS was, but that you did sign your document of uh, I, I forget the exact name of it uh, to serve when you enter the military. That camaraderie, there are very few people who can understand and share by virtue of having had a common experience. Is that the value to you of the veterans that you're missing? Yeah, and you develop that with veterans that you meet and you develop those friendships with in, in the units or the, the friends you meet along the way, even after you get out of the service. I've often told friends of mine, other veterans have shared this with me as well. If I meet somebody who was in the American Civil War, I will have what immediately have more in common with that person <laughs> than people who haven't been in the military. But if I meet a veteran in general, no matter the war, I will always have something in common with them immediately that would, that uh -huh. would be a very comfortable and, and trusting conversation. And that is hard to, hard to replace. But no, you, you're down in Phoenix and you're belonging to the Scottish um, Organization of Veterans. Then you've moved back up to Wisconsin, and how did that translate? Can you find well, that veterans I, again? I we didn't have that. We don't have that here in Wisconsin. There's no group like that in the Midwest. So I have a condo in in Wisconsin, and I was sitting there for five years, sitting in my condo, doing absolutely nothing, wasting my life. And I actually called my daughter. She lives up in the cities, and I said. I feel like I'm wasting my life. 
I feel like I'm in a nursing home. It's like living in an assisted living environment. Which, which I, you weren't. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I have a lovely condo. And, and, and it made her feel bad because she helped me find this place. And it is lovely. She said, Mom, that makes me feel bad. And I'm like, well, I said, I'm sorry, but that's how it feels. All my neighbors were like 70, 80, 90, some of them. But it's my own fault. I wasn't out there living. I was just sitting there doing nothing. And, and this is immediately on your return from Phoenix. From Arizona. From Arizona, yeah. so you've moved but back. I, and you are in good health. You don't, I mean, there's oh, yeah. no reason I'm, for you to be just be no, sitting. No. no, no, there's no reason. But I was stuck. I was just in my, in my mind, just stuck. Stuck on I, what? Just stuck. So would it be fair to say that what you might have been stuck on was the no longer having that direct connection to other veterans who continue yeah, that Yeah, I was purpose. probably lonely, probably just stuck. I am hooked up with a veteran center in La Crosse, and that's a wonderful place for people to start if they're looking for some, some place to get some help. I work with a really nice gal named Bridget. I go every month and I talk to her, and she is great. So I'm no longer stuck. I'm out there living but, but and enjoying life. Yeah, but, but, I, but it's an excellent point, Rebecca, what you're bringing up, because sometimes we get, and I've been there, many veterans have been there, we just don't see the purpose. It's too easy, having been in the military, where life was, as you say, well-developed, well-disciplined, well-ordered, everything, whether you were wanted to be there or not, you had a job to perform, you had skills, you had times, you had responsibilities, all of these things. Now, if you don't provide them yourselves, you do get stuck. So that stuckness, is that stuckness really lack of a purpose to some extent? Yeah, you just have to, you have to get unstuck. You got to get out there and live and enjoy life. So you're on, you're stuck for five years. What gave you the boot, uh, the boot to, to go out well, and do this? I'm just not sure. I, I'm, I'm just trying to think back. I just made up my mind that, you know, I had to get out there and live. Did, did, did it come to you? And I'm just curious. Did somewhere along the line, somebody mentioned the vet center to you and say, why don't you go see the vet center? Or there's a vet center and this is what they offer. I actually did get to the vet center. And, Do you consider um, that a difficult step to take? That first step after five years of sitting in self? No, I didn't. I didn't think it was a, a hard step. I actually... Um, I went to check on my my benefits at the the veterans the county veterans service office and I didn't get too far with that situation so then I went to the vet the vet center because they they were able to help me sometimes I mean the vet center can help everybody but the vet the county veterans service office can't help every veteran I think so, the, 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 the duty or the responsibility of the county veteran service officer is just to be an advocate and inform you of what benefits you're entitled to and how to right. go about. That is, that is true. Yes, and how to but, go about. Right, but the vet center them. can provide services yes. the vet for center all is more, veterans, yes, for all veterans. That's correct, and the vet center yes. is more of a mental yes. health right. uh, facility yes. for veterans mm-hmm. who are struggling. So you you go in there, and that has been a very good decision and a good result going to the vet center. That has been a wonderful, wonderful decision. 
Wow. And, and so I would urge any veteran out there, if they have a family member or they have questions about where to go, how to start the process of getting help for their family or themselves, go to the, the vet center. Most counties, like a big city, uh, La Crosse or Madison, most big cities have a vet center. And I think Eau Claire is starting to make a plan to develop a vet center. Yeah, we do have a uh, listing of them. They're in Green Bay. There's one in Superior. Uh, they're, they're opening more around the state. And they, What's really yeah. fascinating to me is you bring up kind of subtly that the vet center also has resources for families. And I think we're coming to realize after your experience with your former husband and his difficulties in readjustment, those family benefits and resources weren't there at the time that you were going through this, were they? No, they were not. And they, they, they didn't focus on the family, on helping the family at all. And I think the family is such a key player in helping the veteran. Yeah. I, I'll share this with you. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Lee, who was a medical commander in Iraq and suffered uh, severe injuries in an IED explosion, came back uh, wounded and spent a lot of time recovering. And he's gone on to be, be the director of the Spinal Cord Injury Hospital at the VA Hospital in Milwaukee. But he was on our program and very, very helpful. He's also an associate professor at the Medical College of Wisconsin now. And he said that he was sitting at the table playing a game with his daughter. And this was after he came home from the service. And she looked up at him and she said, Daddy, how come you don't smile anymore? And that's when he went to to get help. But he made this statement, and I wonder if share your opinion on this. He said the real casualty of war is the family. Yeah, I can kind of I can agree with that. And when he said that, that was just stunning to me because that is so true. Because we as veterans can come home. I certainly can't speak for your former uh, husband. But it's all about me. I went to war. I saw this. I did that. I'm angry. I have nightmares. I have the the reactions. I'm the one who feels isolated, but never with the responsibility that we are. We also have a family to take care of and provide resources for them. And the vet center is an excellent place to go and do that because they will provide resources for the veterans family as well. And I, I think one of the intriguing things about this, or certainly one of the the beneficial things for this veterans like myself, have this stigma that I can't go and ask for help. But if they recognize that when they go to get help, they can let their family know and take that pressure off them, the family that they're getting help, they're receiving help. But the veteran can also go and let the family know, and we're finding resources for you to have your issues resolved or to better, so that you have some way of dealing with what's going on in the household. And really preparing the home as the center of, of health care. I think that's so very, very important. Has that helped you? Oh, yes, it has. And uh, when you talk about the stigma, and I like the, the name of uh, the podcast, uh, The Stigma, we have to do away with that stigma on, on this uh, whole mental health thing, because it's nothing to be ashamed of to reach out and help ask for help when you need it, because... Does it, so does it get a lot of does it get easier after you have reached out the first time and then know that you're in a place where you can start to resolve these things? Yes, there's just nothing to be ashamed of Absolutely. to reach out and ask 
ask for help. And I'm glad you bring up the CVSO and you bring up the Vet Center because they actually, the Vet Center provides a full range of resources for veterans, not just for the veteran himself and the family, but uh, substance abuse, alcoholism, military uh, traumas of other sorts are all provided by them. So whatever your issue is, they either have directly the resources or can provide you with that resource. Exactly. Let's just go back. You come to the end of this five years of just sitting at home with nothing, but now you find a new purpose somehow and get up to this place called the the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park in Nielsville, Wisconsin. And yes. how does that help, and what are you doing there? Oh, well, <laughs> I attended a veterans, uh, female veterans retreat here at the High Ground last September. It was a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday event, a retreat. It was my first time at the High Ground uh, in Nielsville, Wisconsin. I had heard about the high ground, but I, I'd never been here. And I, I think I heard about it through the vet center. I don't, I don't remember actually how I heard about it, but I came. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything about it, but I showed up. And that's all part of it. You just have to show up. <laughs> <laughs> Take the first step and show up. Yeah, yes, show up. <laughs> so I showed up and here's... A couple ladies in a in a golf cart with smiles <laughs> on their faces, welcoming to me to the high ground, and they were just so nice. And so now, when, when you when you get to the high ground for the first time, because I don't want to miss this particular step, and these two uh, women are there in a golf cart. What do you actually see when you get to the high ground? What is the high ground? It's not just a place. What do you actually see and feel? Well. When I got there, we, we got checked into our motel room. We, they have a little place where we, and then they took us in the golf cart down to the place where there's the flagpole and all the monuments and everything. I mean, it's just, it's a surreal place. It's, it's like a, a sacred place. I've been there many times. I refer to it as, it's a healing place. It's yeah, a it is a healing place. Feel. It's surreal. Yes, you, it is. you can't describe it any other way. I mean, You're on top sometimes of you even see bald eagles flying yeah. around up above the flagpole. Yeah. It's like. But then you're looking out over a wide expanse of land off into the horizon. Yeah, over the valley. You look over this valley where you can see, they say you can see a half a million acres of land. Yes. And it's just. Yeah. It's very it's, peaceful, but they've also um, they, they explained some of the programs they have there that are beneficial for veterans and some of the work that you're doing and what the other volunteers well, are doing there and maybe okay, even the well, walking trail that they have through the beautiful. They have, uh, I believe there's three miles of walking trails. Every trail, everything is wheelchair accessible and they do have electric wheelchairs available for everyone to use. If you come and you, you need a wheelchair, um, they're available. And I work as a porch greeter. So when you get out of your car, I usually go over to your car and hand you a brochure and explain. Um, I welcome you to the high ground, first of all. And, and I say, are you a veteran? And where did you serve? And welcome to the high ground. And if you're a veteran, I pin a little red ribbon on you and, <laughs> and thank you for your service. And, and just... I just want you to feel so special and 
because you are. And then I let you know that there's patches for you in the gift shop that I want you to go in there and make sure you let them know that you're also a veteran and, and you get your patches. We are just so grateful for all the veterans and all the people that stop here at the high ground to enjoy our beautiful high ground. Let, let me ask you this, Rebecca. Did that reconnect you with this veteran population? It kind of helped me um, get past the, the um, group that I lost in um, Arizona. I still miss my guys in Arizona. And some of those guys have passed away, but I still miss them. But you're not sitting in your condo alone anymore with no purpose. No, I'm not (laughs) sitting there um, growing old, doing nothing. I'm out living again, enjoying life and meeting new comrades. Well, and helping, as you said earlier, providing educational resources for veterans who are struggling with PTSD. You have the... Share the program that you're part of uh, for the veterans uh, and the, the veteran family program, if you would, that you're holding as an educational program or peer support program at the high ground on uh, one Sunday a month to be designated. But share that right. experience because it's so valuable, again, as a resource for families. Well, on Sunday afternoon, uh, once a month from two to about 2 to 4, 430 we meet at the high ground. We have kind of a secluded place. It's private. It's in the woods, undercover. So we can talk freely with the birds singing around us. And it's just a wonderful experience. And we um, have guest speakers and we share tears and joy. And everyone's welcome, family members and veterans. You, so, you also share, and one of the things that I've noticed, I've participated in several of them, two of them so far, and they are extremely valuable, but it's that first step for veterans and families to come together and say, we have an issue we'd like to resolve. And the great thing is you're in a trusting place with other veterans and other families who are experiencing the same thing, going back to what you mentioned before, the common experience of the veteran experience culture. And that's what is so valuable about that program. You're with other people who have, are experiencing something similar, have been in the same culture, and are looking for resolutions and resources themselves. And it is just a very, very valuable first step to asking for some educational resolutions for your Right, and I think that's what's important. It's a place to start. It's taking that first step, just starting, just getting getting up out of that chair, getting off the couch. One of the other assets that I see in this, which is very valuable, and I hope it's okay for us to speak about this, uh, Chris Pettis, who is a Marine veteran, uh, served at least in Somalia, I believe in Iraq as well, but he's the director of the high ground, and his wife, Bonnie, who is the military side or military family side of this, is also at the high ground. Uh, and they have a son who's in the Marine Corps on active duty right now. So you, you, we're not going to a civilian-provided facility. This is run by many volunteers, our veterans themselves. So exactly. they know the background. So to have the director and his wife, who are both military families and military veterans, at these meetings is, is just a very, very intensely intimate and, and honorable experience, in, at least in my opinion. 
Right. And we, we have uh, resources that if someone comes and they, they want to speak to someone who's got a need, if they, if they have a need and they want to speak to someone, maybe I can't handle, we can refer them to someone with more experience that could help them with their issue. Right. So you have resources that extend beyond what we they're do. capable of doing. Or yes, qualified. we can act as a referral right. person. I know they also have other activities for veterans. They have a, a, an annual retreat where veterans can come and spend a weekend right. and be with other this veterans. This weekend, um, they're having a, a mail retreat, right. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then again in September, they'll have the female retreat. Right. But they have things going on all the time. And, here and, at the and, high and increasing the timetable of things that they will have, the educational programs that they will have, and the beneficial programs, not to mention the motorcycle rides that come through there, not to mention some of the, of course, the, the veterans stone laying ceremonies they have. Yeah, stone laying ceremonies, which are beautiful. I'll be attending two of those. But the Veterans Day, Memorial Day, 4th of July, all of these different days are very, very special there. But now we are coming to the end of our time here for today. But share, take a couple minutes and just share whatever you would like to share about your experience, where you are, what you're doing now, and the importance of having a purpose in, as a veteran? Well, just going back to, to the beginning, I just would like people to know that the, the veteran, the family, and I know there's a lot of veterans that, that have come back from Iraq and Afghanistan, and, and that whole 20-year war was, was a bit, bit strange on how it ended. And their service was just as important as anybody else's service. And their issues are just as important and complicated as anybody else's issues of service. They have needs just like ours and, and they need help. And we need to, to reach, reach them. We need to find ways to reach out and help them. And we we welcome them to come forward for some of the services that are available to them and their families. And we want them to know that we are here, here for them. And we want them to come to the high ground and see what's here for them and their families. And the high ground is open 365 days a year, 24-7. And they can bring their families and go hiking and they can have picnics and then just see what we're all about, you know, and just check out some of the veteran service offices and, you know, and the, the vet centers that are scattered around the state and just see what's out there. Take a step and, toward joy. Would yeah, that and don't funny? wait 20 or 30 years, yes. you know, you, don't wait till your kids are 30 years old before you take those steps. Yeah. Do it when they're little so that you can have a life with them. And a quality of life, a good quality. I, I'm of just life. my husband, ex-husband, and I are fortunate that we we have a daughter that loves us both. But so many veterans don't have that that good fortune that we have, and I want other veterans to have what we have. And the resources are available to provide that quality of life or at least the road to that quality of life and to some hope and to some joy and i think that is a very important issue for all of us as veterans is to respect our lives and respect uh, the lives of our families and don't waste a day unnecessarily if you don't have to 
and reach out and keep in mind the quality of life is very important to the military family, to those who are living with you. And it's our responsibility to make these homes a safe and secure and happy place to be. And that's one of the benefits of certainly the high ground, the vet centers, and many other organizations working for vets. But take the first step and reach out. Yes. Well, we want to thank our guest, Rebecca Peasley. Are, are you good now? Are you happy with what we've shared? And Yes, I'm very happy. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, we want to thank you, and, and first for your service to our country, and also your resilience and courage and dedication to resolving the difficult and punishing challenges in your personal life. But we also want to thank you for the dedication uh, in improving the transition from military to civilian life and culture for our veterans and their families and and the health of the human spirit in general, because that's what you're doing. I mean, we help veterans, we help families that just radiates to the rest of the human spirit. So your dedication continues at the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park in Nielsville, Wisconsin. And I believe the website for more information of the High Ground is really thehighground.us. So all one word, the High Ground, T-H-E-H-I-G-H-G-R-O-U-N-D dot U-S, is the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park in Nielsville, Wisconsin. It's about in the center of the state, uh, central to uh, Wisconsin. They can catch you there if they want to uh, pull up and find you on the porch with a document or brochures ready for you to give you a beautiful smile and welcome to them as they come and introduce you to this really, really peaceful, wonderful healing place called the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park in Nielsville. Thank you to our audience for joining us today. And please check us out for more resources on our website at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. And please, if you are struggling in any way and would like to speak with a a real person, take down this number, the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and then press 1. This may be difficult to make this phone call, but the call that uh, comes first is the most difficult. But I'm telling you from my own experience, it can provide the most important road to recovery, to joy, to hope, to uh, putting a respect and value on your life. In the military, we had to be leaders. Now in civilian life, we can be leaders as well by maintaining and, and putting as a priority the health care of our families So for my co-host, Bob Bach, I am Michael Orban. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Stigma-Free Vet Zone. Uh, Your comments are encouraged and welcomed. And remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.